Hey everyone, just a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Reviews help us move up in the search rankings so we can reach more cyclists. You can also support us by sharing our podcast with your friends or on social media. Thanks for listening. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hey Todd, how's it going? It's going well, Jason. How are you? Pretty good. We're in a bit of a heat wave out here in California, so a little little more damp than usual in my uh, in my office, but we're going to get through this. It's good. It's like the episode we did on using saunas as part of your training a while back. Yeah, but we're getting some adaptation there. We didn't talk about saunas and podcasting. Um, maybe this, you know, right? Put the Stroop test while we do sauna work. That has some potential. Unless you melt your phone, of course. Lithium-ion batteries decay at 170 Fahrenheit, I believe. Right about the same point. So anyway, let's let's get to the episode. Uh, Todd, what are we talking about today? So we're going to talk about five things that we wish we knew earlier or we wish we would have done different throughout our cycling progression. What's going to be interesting is we haven't talked about this beforehand. So as a listener, you might end up with 10 different things. But I don't, I don't think you will. I think we're going to have some overlap. Yeah, so I guess the the motivation for this one was um, we actually got an email from a listener who who recommended this topic, and it's a interesting topic for us. So if you have any topics that you want us to discuss, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, email. Uh, the Twitter is Perf Cycling Pod. The email is Performance Cycling Podcast at Gmail Or the third option is we have a contact form on our website, which is down in the show notes. If you have any questions, let us know. But this was a question from a listener, and I guess it was sort of in that mood of, you know, you're sitting around a campfire or, you know, you're at some social event and the new rider goes, hey, what, what would you have done differently? Or, or maybe the old guy is like, oh, man, I would have been a lot stronger if I had, uh, you know, done these few things differently when I was just getting started. Sort of that sort of feel. And we can uh, look back on our beginning time as cyclists and, and talk about maybe the mistakes we made or, or what we would have done differently. All right. So can I, I'll jump in first here with my first thing. All right. And I, I'm going to hope this is at least, at least I think you'll agree with this and to a certain regard. And that is, I, I wish earlier on I'd actually spent more time doing base training and really focusing on developing the aerobic system. I sort of hopped in and like did some races and like, Oh, this racing thing is cool. I'm, just going to go to races because that seems fun and did that for a bit and had was totally oblivious to this idea of developing an aerobic system and what what that all means and what's in you know like hey i just want to go ride my bike and race which i think is great like, don't get me wrong you should go ride your bike and have fun but in in retrospect i wish i had been aware of those concepts earlier on and this idea that we talked about in prior episode about long-term athlete development and what does it mean? Because I, I did it exactly the opposite way of how you're supposed to. Yeah, so that actually made my list as well. I, I'm thinking back to my first few years. I rode my bike before I raced for two years of just uh, local group rides and I got connected with some of the fast riders and I also did a lot of sort of Strava segment chasing as well and I remember a lot of my and, and coming from soccer which was the sport i played as a junior i i already had like a decent vo2 max i had that anaerobic ability and i didn't spend any time working on my aerobic capacity there were no three hour rides at zone two just sitting there everything was i'm gonna muscle over this hill i'm gonna attack this segment 
short total ride length, an hour, hour and a half, and it was fun. It's it's cool to chase segments and it's fun to be able to kick it with these other riders in this fast group ride. But actually what ended up happening was I wasn't actually able to catch up to these riders in the group ride because I never worked on my aerobic capacity. So I could chase up the hills with them, but as soon as it really turned into an aerobic effort, eight minute, 10 minute effort, I would just lag behind because I didn't have that aerobic development. And I never really understood why. And I always thought it was, oh, you know, you're just an anaerobic rider. Oh, you're just, you know, a little bit heavier or something like that. But it's, it was because I never spent any time working on my aerobic capacity. And looking back, it takes forever to work on your aerobic capacity. And it develops three to five years after you get started is really when you start to see big gains. And so working on that as soon as possible is something that I wish I had done. Yeah, I, I think I got aerobic capacity sort of accidentally because I would go on some of these longer rides and then that would uh, force me to be in the aerobic zone a little bit because I couldn't ride anaerobically for that long. But it, it wasn't a conscious effort. It was mostly, oh, we're going on a long ride, so I can't ride that fast. I, like, I understood the pacing. I understood that from having experience with running. Like if you run a sprint, you run all out. And if you run a longer race, you have to pace yourself. But there was no, to your point, I'm going to ride three hours in zone two because I'm going to try to develop this aerobic system. You grew up in California where there are big mountains or hills. And I grew up on the East Coast where it's generally... It's not necessarily flatter where I grew up, but it was um, short stuff, a minute, two minutes at a time. And rarely did we ever see, I think I sought out sort of the biggest mountain climb and it was eight minutes in Pennsylvania. And so I never was on group rides where they forced you into like, we're going up old LaHonda, so you have to use your aerobic system to you know stay involved. I was never exposed to that. And I think if you are a rider who doesn't have these long dedicated efforts, and on top of that, all my group rides were an hour and a half after work. If you're in a position where all you have are short climbs, all you have are 90 minutes after work group rides, you aren't going to develop this in the same way as when I moved to California, we're doing four hours this Saturday, or we're doing, um, they even had a Wednesday ride that I was able to sneak out to in grad school. And that was five or maybe even six hours sometimes. And it had a bunch of, it, well, it has a bunch of pros and um, semi-pro riders and being able to do that shows you this is what aerobic work is this is aerobic development and my aerobic system only really started to, to develop when i came to california so if you aren't sort of privileged to be in a position where you can live somewhere where your aerobic system just naturally improves based on the group riding and the type of riding around you you have to consciously and actively go out and pursue these long rides in zone two and and then also working on your tempo and up into sweet spot as well and making the conscious effort to do those things and if you remember the usa cycling development guidelines they don't even want you to do any anaerobic work until i believe year three your third year of training is when you can start to do vo2 max right and from my perspective i may have not been consciously doing it but obviously if you go out and do a bunch of hard group rides or you do a bunch of races you're getting at that system. You're certainly working that system, even if not in a structured way. Yeah. And I ended up doing so many VO2 max intervals because it's sort of cheap real estate. It's, it's easy for us to get our VO2 max to spike up quickly. And the coach I was working with, I felt like it was an opportunity for them to say, here, look, you improved. 
And as opposed to the slower, sort of three years from now, you'll be faster. It's a lot harder to convince an athlete to take their time and develop slowly, which is really what you want to be doing. I don't think it's just athletes. I think that's any human being. Here, do this thing for three years. Trust me, you'll see the result. Just stick with it. That's a hard sell for human psychology. Yeah, that's true. But here's your word of, of warning or word of guidance from us is do the aerobic work as soon as you can. Because when you develop that system, it doesn't really go away. It's sort of the, you know, as long as you do your base every winter, it's right there and you hold on to that. And that's that kind of old man strength where these 40 or 50 year olds are just so strong and, and they're always able to keep riding. That's because they have such a massive aerobic base. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Todd, I didn't tell you this in advance, but I actually cheated on this topic and I included three things that I wish I had done. Uh, one of them is doing more aerobic work, but I actually also included things that two things that I was glad that I did. And I, when I look back, I say these are really important to my development as a cyclist. All right. Fair, fair enough. So throw, throw out, I guess, one of your, your other two that are remaining of things you wish you did. Okay, so one thing that I wish I did was more core work. And we have a specific episode on core work, and we talked in that episode about that moment when you get out of the saddle for the first time and you feel your stomach, you know, the muscles clench. You can feel the engagement of your core as you start pedaling, and, and you realize the stability offered by having core strength like really allows you to push into the pedals more. I wish I had that... In the first six years of my riding, I spent so much time, you know, not using my core, just using my leg muscles to produce power and just the amount of efficiency and stability and control you get when you start to engage those. I wish I had that when, when I first started. So I guess you'll be happy to know that that is on my list as well. Although I combine that with resistance training, I put those two together. I thought of those as sort of off the bike exercises that you would do to enhance your performance. So I, I, I put together weights and core work as a, a single unit in my list, but I think we're, we're aligned. I totally agree. I think the other thing I would add is your back hurts while you're riding. It might be an indication that some core work is in order. You might be compensating with some other muscles that might be contributing to back pain. You might not be holding your back in the right posture and doing some core work may help you address that. And, and also not just reduce your pain, but also result in an increase in performance. So I think there's tremendous value there. And then I added weights in. I think you can go back. We have many episodes where we discuss weights, but tremendous performance benefits. And that aside, one of the things I always say when we talk about weights is we know cyclists tend to have lower bone density than their peers. We also know that those cyclists who do resistance training on a regular basis do not have that effect. So not just for your performance, but also for overall health, adding some resistance training into your routine is incredibly beneficial. Yeah. So for core strength, back to core strength, if you look at a lot of these professional cyclists who are doing really well, like, did you watch uh, Van Aert in the Criterium du Dauphiné first stage? Mm -hmm, I did. So it was an uphill sprint finish, and he got a good lead out from his team. But just the, 
the stability in his core, in his hips, and the ability to just drive through the pedals, that's really what distinguished him from a lot of the other riders. There were riders rocking back and forth, and you know they didn't they didn't have this strong, powerful position where they could just hold it and push through the pedals. And I'm very impressed when I can see you can see the core engagement on these professional athletes and realizing I rode for so long without that. And even now, I, I don't think my core strength is great. And that's something that I wish I had spent more time on. And the other point I have for core strength is I am trying to gather some studies. We did do an episode, as I said, but I'd like to gather some studies on the effects, see if we can quantify it in, from a research perspective. And it is difficult. Hopefully we can do an episode on that soon, but there isn't so much information. But to Todd's point, there is absolutely a relationship. There are lots of studies on trunk strength and, and back pain. And they know that if you have back pain, you probably have lower trunk strength than someone who doesn't have back pain. So the research aligns with with that. And hopefully we'll be able to dive into that more in another episode. And on the topic of lifting, Todd, I actually included that on my list of things that I was glad that I did. And I look at it a little differently than you. We do have a lot of episodes on strength training, and I'm sure we could even do a bunch more on strength training. But I'm glad that I worked with a lifting coach, specifically in college. Um, I worked with an Olympic lifting coach who was really focused on the big dynamic movements. We didn't do um, the snatch, the the upper body shoulder uh, portion of Olympic lifting, but we did a lot of deadlifting and a lot of squatting. I'm really happy with the fact that I have a lot of lower body muscle mass, and I think that is really important to development as a cyclist. Get the muscle mass you need so that you can always put the power through the pedals. If you look at professional cyclists, they all have a lot of muscle mass. Even the climbers, you know, Vincenzo Nibali, Nairo Quintana, you look at the quads and the glutes of all of these riders, there's plenty of muscle mass there. And it's harder to develop that on the bike than it is to just go into the weight room and put out some big weights. And on top of that, we know that a lot of aerobic efforts, submaximal efforts are limited by your muscle strength. And so developing more muscle mass that can help you resist that fatigue. And so I think that working with a lifting coach, getting really robust leg muscles, that was big for me. And I'm glad I did that early on. And then each winter after that was sort of just maintaining my muscles rather than, you know, trying to build them up after riding for five or six years. All right. I, I can agree with that. I think that's totally fair. And I think to our, our usual point go lift some weights when you're not riding your bike it's good for you you really can't go wrong and probably get some advice before you go find the biggest weight in the weight room to move and part of uh, what i was saying was yeah it was great to work with a coach and my coach was very particular about form and um, that's a big safety point but it's also about using the muscles properly and learning how to do that all right i guess i'll go back onto my list here of things but now that you have things that you're glad you did. I might have to swap one of my points that I was less excited about for something that I'm glad I did because I certainly had those that okay. I dismissed. Sure. So, well, uh, we can both break the rules, I guess. All right. Well, I mean, you already did. So I guess I have to just follow suit. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so I think that one of these other things that I wish I had done more early on, I've ultimately gotten there to a point, but one of the things I wish I'd done more early on was explored the other disciplines of cycling. I mean, I really only raced mountain bikes and then I tried a couple of road races as a junior and I didn't really race road bikes until college. And then 
I tried some cyclocross after grad, like grad school, and then dabble and then spread out outside of cross country mountain biking, even the last couple of years to try some enduro. So I see from the experiences of each of these different disciplines, there's a lot of skills that can cross over the handling skills, the tactics. There's just a lot of things that you learn from the different disciplines that apply, even if I'm not going to be a road racer, I'm not going to be a criterium rider, a time trialist. I guarantee you that there's something that I can learn from that that applies to cross country mountain biking or applies to cyclocross or whatever part of the sport that you're super excited about and really want to do good, do that, stick to it, but also dabble. If you have the opportunity, I know it's expensive. I think tracks probably the one, at least here where you can go down to the track and rent a bike. that's uh, much more accessible. The other ones, I mean, if you live near a, a ski resort or something, you can rent a mountain bike and go play around for a day. Uh, it is hard. You don't necessarily much work at a bike shop. Uh, you're not going to end up with a stable of bikes. Knock on wood, I was lucky to have worked at a bike shop. So I had a stable of bikes that I got. But try the other parts of the sport. Don't dismiss it because you, know, you don't like it or that's not the one you want to do or what have you. I think there's a lot that you can learn from dabbling in the different parts of sport. And it, it's all at the end of the day can make you a better rider. And I think on top of that, if we're back to kind of what the professionals do, and even if you're not competitive, just developing as a rider, and I think your enjoyment of the sport will increase if you are able to learn from these other disciplines. We know Peter Sagan came from mountain biking, back to Van Aert and Vanderpool, you know, big cyclocross riders. A lot of these riders who now do road came from a different background and they're dominating the road sport. And I think the reason for that is because having a breadth of experiences allows you to understand the sport better and respect what it takes to be good or what it takes to excel in the sport. And it's just developmentally valuable to you. And Todd, this one didn't make my list because I did actually try a bunch of different uh, disciplines and I didn't like any of them except track and road. And it's probably because mountain biking on the East Coast is, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but it's a lot more technical. It's very, you know, lots of rocks, lots of narrow places to fit through, as opposed to when I imagine uh, West Coast mountain biking, a lot more open plains and um, dirt paths and things like that. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's certainly a range here. I think probably everywhere there's a certain extent to, you have to know where to go to ride in whatever it is, whether it's road or mountain or cross you have to know the places to ride uh, to find the the trail or road that suits your particular ability yeah and so i was never really as interested in the technique side of cycling i was more interested in the tactics and the the interpersonal dynamics of racing and things like that and then of course training comes from the fact that i want to race against the better people so i have to be more fit in order to stay in there but mm -hmm. i am interested in actually like the gravel mountain bike hybrid like this sort of dirt roads. And I think that is a discipline that I'm interested in trying, especially on the West Coast. There's a lot of beautiful dirt roads and gravel roads that are out in the middle of nowhere, away from civilization. And on top of that, I'm interested in learning about like changing my pedal stroke to accommodate gravel riding and you know uncertain terrain. I think that a development of a more rounded pedal stroke or a more controlled pedal stroke. And part of that is core engagement, the ability to just really power through the pedals. That's something that I think mountain bikers have it a lot better, same with cyclocross riders. And um, yeah, if I was gonna go try a different discipline to help out my development, it would probably be like this gravel, 
mountain bike sort of sort of area. Cool. What else do you have on your list of things that you wish you'd done? This will be your last one, right? Yep. So the last thing that I have on my things I wish I had done was improved my flexibility or at least worked on my flexibility early on. And the biggest thing here is that I've always had sort of low joint mobility or low joint range of motion. And if I'm working on it now, but it's almost like an uphill battle. Whereas if I had started earlier and emphasized flexibility in uh, my development, it, it wouldn't be quite an uphill battle as it is now. And I remember times, especially in the, the harder parts of the season, when you're really focused on training, your flexibility will decrease so much. And the struggles of dealing with tight hamstrings, struggling with uh, glute dysfunction, things like that, it's incredibly frustrating when all you want to do is focus on having the energy you need for your next workout. If instead you're you know, trying to now stretch out these things, or if you're trying to work through dysfunction or maybe change your bike fit to match up to kind of what's going on with your body, it's not nearly as nice as if you could just focus on fueling and sleeping and then go out for your next ride. And we're back to the, the pros example. There are lots of pros who look horribly uncomfortable on their bike. You know, ones who deal with injury and pain and, you know, Marcel Kittle retired because he had hip pain and nobody could fix it. And it's, it's not like you get hip pain randomly and, and then you just retire. It's, it's this systematic decrease in flexibility. Over time, you get in a position where you can't fit on your bike or you can't sit on your bike comfortably. Being preemptive with that is something that starts with day one as a cyclist, making sure your hamstrings are loose. Uh, stretching your glutes, making sure your hip flexors are working properly. And then, you know, this also connects in with core, making sure your core is strong. If you can do those things from day one, you can decrease your chance of getting stuck in these ruts of flexibility issues and, and functional issues. So ironically, this would go on my list of things I'm glad I did. Under a broader subset of take advice and listen and try and don't don't dismiss it until you try it. So I've been doing yoga for years on a regular basis, not necessarily originally with the intent specifically of helping my flexibility. I put it under take advice because two, probably two of the most important things that I learned that helped my racing came from people that did not race bikes. Those were my parents. And so in terms of yoga, this was something my mom said, was like, you know, probably be good if you did some regular stretching like yoga to go with your biking. Why don't you try this DVD? I'm like, okay, sure. And so I did it and I, I kind of did it a few days a week and I kind of feel pretty good on the bike after I do that. I'm going to keep doing this. And I, I don't know, I was probably 17, 18 at the time, which anyone who's a parent knows that convincing a 17 or 18 year old kid to do something is challenging in and of itself. And so I, I did it and I, I just stuck with it and I do do it on a regular basis, try to do it at least once a week, preferably twice a week if I can. And I think that's probably like knock on wood. Uh, been one of the reasons that I've been relatively injury free over time so having that practice be a pretty regular part of my training. So yes, absolutely. Stretching is super important. Cycling has a tremendous flexibility component to it. To me, that rolls up under the take, take advice, even if you're not sure of the source. Oh, this is not coming from a pro cyclist. It's coming from my mom who doesn't race bikes, but Hey, you know what? That was good advice. Parents are pretty smart. Yeah. And you listen to him. Well, I liked the uh, the story you had from race lessons where um, 
you you would never push to the front in mountain bike races and your your dad said why don't you try and just you know push to the front at the beginning of the race and then i think you ended up winning or getting second or something and uh that's another example of someone who's not necessarily in the sport but you know just listening to what they have to say and and just trying it out and seeing if it works for you yeah and i I think the thing about my dad is he's like a sportsman at heart and so he'd gone he'd watch me do these races and he'd not only that, but he's a super keen observer of the world. And so he'd made the connection probably in the like third race I did. Hey, you know, the people that are winning at the end of the day are the people that are visiting themselves well at the start of the race. So he'd made that. I, I had, and I had this theory of, oh, well, it's a long event. So you have to ride at a pace. And if you, you know, if your pace is the fastest, you're going to win. No, just throw that out go be aggressive and see what happens. Like, oh, hey, that that worked out okay. So yeah, just sometimes just listen, test it out, see what happens and get, give it a chance. Don't dismiss it. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is uh, you can only do what you've sort of seen before or experienced before. And so it, another way of saying this is let everything sort of come in and then sift through it and start to sort of logically... Uh, you know, make connections and um, decide which things work. And if we, again, go go to pro cyclists, they're super particular about everything they do. It's because they've tried lots of things. And this is the protocol I use for hydration. So I need these bottles now or whatever. And they took in a lot of information. They decided this is what was best and they're sticking to it. And that's a pretty typical development cycle. If you're new or, you know, because our prompt is looking back, at when we started, if you're new, the point is take in a lot, listen to everybody, get their opinions. And then eventually as you get older as a cyclist, then you can start to say, you know, I don't agree with you or I don't want to do it that way. And you can sort of back it up with your your longer experience and, and the times that you've tested the different um, areas. Yeah, absolutely. So I haven't been keeping track of uh, how many of your lists that we've hit, but I have one more and this is a things I'm glad I did. Because I race bikes, and I don't know how many of our listeners race or how many um, just ride and uh, work on their fitness, but I worked with a coach when I first got started who was really focused on developing a bike racer as opposed to just a, a fit rider. And I know there are a lot of coaches who just say, you know, this is the development pathway for fitness. You know, this is how the physiology works and we're going to develop you as a rider. I think that I was privileged to work with somebody and I, I had no idea this is what I was doing. It was just the coach that I had picked was a very savvy bike rider, bike racer. So when he raced, he, he was very tactical. He was very good at sort of de- deciphering the race and taught me a lot about positioning, taught me a lot about race tactics, taught me a lot about how to excel even if you didn't have the fitness. And now that I do have the fitness, and since moving to California, my aerobic system has improved and my ability to stay in these road races is a lot better, I can now lean on those tactics that I was taught at the beginning. And honestly, a lot of riders that I race against don't have this tactical background. I think California, the riders are so fit. Tactics are probably a bit lacking compared to for example, in Pennsylvania, lots of crit riding, lots of really technical races, six corner crits, things like that, but also very tactical racing. Everything was calculated because unlike in California, you can't just ride people off your wheel. You had to figure out another way to beat them. 
having both of those skills, having the fitness to stay in or attack, but also having the, the race knowledge, was something that I'm really glad that I had when I first started uh, getting involved in the sport. Yeah, I mean, that, I think those things are super important to be able to understand and read the race and see the race. And at the end of the day, I think that's something that comes with time. You don't figure that out in your first race. You have to see it and study it, observe it to be able to do it. But it's such an advantage to be able to have that tactical mind to go along with the fitness when it comes to working out how you can win today. Yeah, and if you don't have a coach that you can lean on or discuss races with, at least find a more experienced rider to talk with. And it really takes a lot of time to say, well, this is what happened in the race. Why didn't I win? And I, I definitely said this on the podcast before, but there have been races when I was a Cat 4 where I felt like I was one of the best riders in the race and I got 12th. And just being able to talk to someone and, and say, why didn't I win? And discussing with them. And I remember not my coach, but a very good track rider who I was on a group ride with, and I guess he was uh, sort of, we were sort of friends, and he said he always attacked from like 500 meters out, a little bit longer than we'd want to on the track, and he said, what you do is you wait until the moment when you want to attack, and if someone attacks before you, you have to follow them, but you wait until the moment you want to attack, and then you attack and you go full gas and you stick it and you hope no one passes you. And that was the way he viewed track racing, and he was very successful with it, and I remember as a third year rider, it just clicked. It was, I could watch him do that technique and then learning how to apply that in my own races was so influential in my development as a racer. And so I'm, I'm very happy that I was exposed to him, exposed to my coach who had similar philosophies on these things. And if you are developing as a racer, yeah, spend as much time as you can with, with better bike racers and they'll teach you hopefully not just how to have a high VO2 max or high FTP, but how to take advantage of your fitness to actually win the race. If I counted right, I should be down to one last thing that I thought was beneficial for me. And this is probably not something that all of our listeners are going to get an opportunity to do. There's nothing precluding you from doing it. There's just certain circumstances that would allow it or at least make it a requirement, if you will. And so... I started racing when I was a junior and there's something called junior gears, which are, it's a much lower top gear than is on most standard bikes. Uh, 52, 14 or 45, 12 thereabouts is what you'd have to ride. And you know, we have long climbs in California. I've already said that if you have long climbs, you have long descents. And if you ride with senior riders who have 53, 11 or 12, and all you have is 52, 14, you learn to pedal real fast going down hills. And you could develop this on the track as well, the ability to hold high cadence. But when you're a junior, and I probably weighed about 150 pounds when I was in high school, and you have bigger riders with bigger gears, you have to pedal real fast to make sure you don't get dropped on a descent. And so I learned two things from that. One, I learned how to corner and descend really, really well because I had to be just on the perfect line to not lose any space and you learn how to maintain a really high cadence which is super useful it's a super useful skill to be able to ride high cadence and so even to this day for me 
it's not a big deal to ride. If you ask me to ride an hour at 105, 110, it's fine. It's no big deal. I can totally, I can totally do that and be comfortable. It's not my preferred. My preferred is probably around 92 to 95, self-selected. But the ability to have the range of cadences, and also I think complemented by mountain biking, where sometimes you have a low cadence and high torque, that ability is so useful across the sport to be able to produce power across the range of cadences, especially up higher when you need to accelerate. Is it Sepp Kuss in uh, Colorado? Uh, he, he rides for um, Jumbo Visma. He actually specifically mentioned that his coach worked on doing intervals where one threshold interval was at 60 cadence and the next threshold interval was at 110 cadence. And just focusing on making sure you have that, that range of cadences. And I think other things that you may have developed, Todd, with your junior gears is all these little uh, energy saving tricks because you couldn't afford to make mistakes or break or things like that because you were at such a disadvantage. And I think on false flats, that's also the times when, uh, so in collegiate, there would sometimes be some high school riders who would race with us and we would always drop them on the false flats rather than the straight down descents. You know, you could just tuck into a ball and find somebody to hide behind, but it's the false flat downs that you have to hold like 120 cadence for five minutes straight stay in that that's where the juniors will develop with their junior gearing yeah you don't have a choice you have to pedal fast because the pace is fast and you just don't have any more gears left and yeah you you learn a lot you learn a lot about positioning you learn a lot about your ability to develop power at cadence so maybe don't run out and replace your gears just yet if you're not a junior but just practice pedaling at a different range of cadence, not just your self-selected cadence. So this doesn't necessarily even require a meter to tell you. I think that's useful if you want to be really objective, but you can do this intuitively. Pick up your cadence until you feel uncomfortable, then keep it there for a few minutes and build build from there. That goes to our, are you just going to ride home or are you going to make the most out of your workouts sort of idea? And I definitely struggle with this. And it's not easy to say, okay, we're going to do some cadence intervals on the way home, but that's, uh, that's another way to continue to develop at a faster pace than other riders, if you're willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And a valuable skill. So if the opportunity presents itself, I'd, I'm a strong advocate of taking the opportunity to develop that ability. And did you want to jump into, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you did have a, something that you're glad that you did and that you want to put in there. One more thing that I'm glad I did. Yeah, just, well, now that, you know, we're all cheating on the prompt. <laughs> now that it's totally falling apart and degrading. I mean, I would say I'm going to put this in, uh, in, in between, to be honest with you. And part of it has to do with timing. So I'm glad I got a power meter when I did. I wish I would have got one sooner. But since I'm a little older than you, power meters were really expensive at one point. Now they're not cheap but relatively speaking they're pretty cheap right now and, and accessible and so super glad that i got it and read up on it and used it and was able to start understanding it for training purposes and be able to track progress and really be objective uh, at the same time i wish i got one earlier but at the at the time so i remember i got mine through the shop pro deal and it was still almost a thousand dollars which means like the retail price would have been like 1800 or something. And so I'm glad I got one when I did, but now you get a good power meter for 350 or 400. 
if you're serious about racing and training, it's such a good investment to make to be able to objectively track your power output, your performance on each ride, your training progress over time, and be able to see and know that you're making progress. So super glad I have one, super glad that I took the time to learn and understand it. Wish they were more accessible when I was younger, but now they are. And so if you're new to riding now and you're excited about performance and tracking progress over time, that's certainly something that I would recommend taking a serious look at and investing in. And to connect back to some of the other points we made, I think power meters are great for understanding what aerobic work really is. When I started working with a different coach who wanted me to focus on aerobic training, uh, he asked me to do a 20-minute power test, and my power was so spiky. I, I had gotten out of the saddle a few times, you know, I had dropped way below FTP, I went way above FTP. I didn't really understand what an aerobic effort was. And I think power meters do a great job of, you can tell people who haven't really done training or haven't used a power meter before because they like to really push it up the hills and then they'll light pedal on the downhills. And when you have this instantaneous feedback of the amount of watts you're putting out, you start to see that, oh, I really can hold 200 watts both up the hill and down the hill. And just the steadiness of the effort, it helps you develop aerobically because you are actually staying in that aerobic zone the whole time as opposed to going up to VO2 max and then going to recovery zone. You're not getting the same aerobic stimulus. But also sort of respecting the effort and feeling what the effort is really like. It's, it's an important development point and allows you to better understand conserving energy and being efficient and things like that. It's, it's really valuable for that as well. Yeah, I think you learn, you learn a lot about physiology as well as your performance by using a power meter. So yeah, that's our list. Hopefully that was helpful. I guess if we probably if we sat around and thought a little bit more, there were probably things that didn't make the list that, you know, I, I wish I had done this or and of course one thing is I wish I had learned things sooner. You know, I wish I understood hydration better when when I was younger. Things like that, which um that's a little bit different, but getting educated on sort of the best practices and trying to implement them as best you can and learn about what works for you that's just that's what developing as a cyclist is and so if you want to develop quicker uh, have experiences learn from them react to them and have more experiences and, and do it again and i think we're we're all still developing and i think we'll continue to develop for the next 20 years and understand the sport and understand our bodies better so if we have to make a quick summary here of our our highlights of things we think you ought to do, given our experience of things that we were grateful we did and things that we wish we'd done. Doesn't go something like spend time working on your core, spend time in the weight room, get a coach to help you out, get a power meter to help give you feedback, work on developing your cadence, be serious about developing your aerobic system, take advice, try different disciplines. I'm missing. Did I miss some other things here? No, I think that's great. If, if okay. you, even if you do half of those, you'll, you'll be really set to develop as a rider. And probably definitely do the aerobic system thing. That's, I think if there's one, we'd probably agree that that would be the one yes. that you would focus on. Spend as much time in zone two as possible when you're developing. Take your, take your time with that because you can't, you can't do too much of it and it takes a long time to get there. Yep. So 
If you enjoyed this episode, uh, get in touch, let us know. If you have any other episode topics, also get in touch and let us know. Uh, you can also support the show by giving us a review, sharing with your friends. Uh, if there's that new writer in your social group, uh, shoot this episode to them. Hopefully they will turn out as the next great American bike racer. Uh, or, well, you know, international bike racer as well. Don't want to uh, close it down too much. Well, I guess if that's all we have, then I will leave with the evergreen parting wisdom, which is until next time, keep the rubber side down. <laughs>